Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten Podcast. And joining me today is Nick Newman from Casa. Uh, we'll get straight into this one. Obviously, we talk about Nick's rabbit hole story. We're all suckers for that. How he grew up, how certain phases in his life kind of molded his mind uh, and set him up for a life in Bitcoin and you know recently becoming the CEO of of Casa and he talks about obviously Casa services which sound pretty amazing especially if you're going from noob to multi-sig and you're looking for a pretty smooth journey this could be something to consider for sure let's get into it because Nick lays all of this out I won't ruin anything in the preamble uh, before we do get into the show make sure if you are in the UK and you want to start stacking some sats as we say or buying some bitcoin you can head over to a bitcoin only exchange that's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten to start your journey and if you're in the US and you're looking to start stacking some sats and if you've been living under a rock and you've never heard of swan that's swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten that code will start you off with a free 10 bucks and you can start stacking sats both companies offer brilliant educational material first rate customer service so there's no excuse now there's no barrier to entry let's go let's start stacking and let's get into this bull run big shout out to adam at adam woodhams one for putting this all together at Jim Reaper Music for the website, which is once-bitten.com. And if you guys want to head over to the YouTube channel, I'm slowly putting up some content there. Just go to YouTube and search Once Bitten Podcast. I'm not putting every episode up. Um, this is just a project that is slowly taking shape organically, and we'll see what comes of it. I also made uh, a runner a meme, so there's a meme up there as well. Goodwill stacking, uh, go check it out. So far, the interviews up there are with Max and Stacy, and my interview with Michael Saylor. Let's get into this episode. Before I do, quick shill at Twenty Oneism, the Bitcoiners doing amazing work. Go check them out. Follow them on Twitter. You'd be blown away at the content on their website, and I just think it's a great project. So let's get into this one with Nick. Thank you so much for listening. I'll catch you after the show. Hey guys, uh, joining us today is Nick Newman from Casa. Nick, great to have you on the show. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to do this. And Lauren is usually here, as I was explaining to you before we start recording, to ask the first question. But she's downstairs at the moment having a French lesson. There's no telling, actually. She might just pop in at any time. I don't know what her schedule is. But uh, meanwhile, Caitlin, 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, Caitlin, you can tell Lauren when you go down. She, she's welcome to come up anytime. Okay. Just throw in a random question. We've got to keep Nick <laughs> on his toes. Yeah. And of course, you know, the audience tune in for Lauren. They don't tune in for me. So <laughs> that, that seems that seems like a great way, reason to tune in. And uh, but Caitlin, I'm expecting to have a great question to start us off here, right? Yeah. Pressure's on. Pressure's on. <laughs> okay. Um, so I heard you and your company, you protect people's uh, Bitcoin. Um, I wanted to ask, how, how do you do that? How do you protect their Bitcoin? So what's a little bit different about CASA is that we actually give people the tools to protect their own Bitcoin. And so whereas some of the other companies in the space, like an exchange or something, yeah, they're actually protecting your Bitcoin for you. But what we do is we actually give people an app and some software and hardware that lets them protect their own Bitcoin. And that's really our whole mission as a company is to make it easier for people to do that. Um, and so it's that's really what excites us about Bitcoin is the fact that you can protect it yourself and you don't have to trust somebody else to protect it for you. So that's what we do. And there's a, the actual how to how it works is a long answer that I'm sure we could spend most of this podcast talking about. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the really short answer. Did you have another one? Um, no. Uh, oh yeah. Why, why do you think Bitcoin is important? I think Bitcoin is important because it's, it's one of the best technologies for individual empowerment that we've had ever, really. Um, you, it's something that inherently is in control of people and individuals, and it lets people um, really save their own money. It lets people control their own money. You don't have to rely on somebody else to hold your money for you. And so it's something where once you make that leap and once you make that connection of like, this is really something that I truly own, it's incredibly empowering for people. And so that's something that I think is one of the most important things about it. Yeah. And I know I go on about it all the time, but yeah. it, but, but what Nick is saying there is really important to understand, like it, it, the ownership aspect. Yeah. So few people in society today actually own anything. They're, they're, they're yeah. tricked into thinking they own something, whereas they don't. Whereas with Bitcoin, it is yours. This is what you tell me all the time. All right. <laughs> I already know this study. I mean, that means you're a good dad though, right? <laughs> I try. I try. Uh, yeah, I'm a good dad until she's like, I want this for Christmas. And like, no, that's this amount of sats. Uh, so, mm -mm. <laughs> But you can have some Bitcoin for Christmas. How about that? There you go. That's right. Most yeah, exciting Christmas present you could get. Yeah. Five years <laughs> from now, you'll be really happy about getting Bitcoin for Christmas. True. And you can buy all the AirPods you want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would still like AirPods now, though. Right. Well, okay, um, go tell Lauren she's welcome to come up at any point. Okay. And, uh, nice okay. to meet you. Yeah, good to meet you, too. Thanks, mate. Um, let's, uh, 
let's wind it back. Where 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 were you before we get into the House of Casa and, and Multisig and all the good stuff? Where were you uh, as a young man? Where, where were you growing up? And and uh, is there any kind of story that you can think of in in your past that you can draw a straight line to now? Now you've like been in the rabbit hole for so long um, that you, you kind of like primed you, if you know what I mean, for 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 when you first entered the rabbit hole. Yeah, so um, I grew up in the Midwest, and this isn't necessarily one specific instance, but it's just kind of a, a trend over my entire childhood, I guess you could say, young adult life. Uh, grew up in the Midwest, and I always hated spending money and you know i i didn't get an allowance or anything like that um but i did always have jobs going back to being pretty young and i never wanted to spend the money that i got from those jobs i always saved it put it away in my bank account and yeah it wasn't that much money like i was making minimum wage scooping ice cream basically but it was something that uh to me that money had a lot of value because I'd earned it at my job. And I think that was something that my parents from really early on also really instilled in me as, as important. Like it's important to work hard to earn your income. And that's why I didn't, you know, just get like a weekly allowance or something like that, like I said. So when I think it's, it's been a more recent thing where people have started talking about Bitcoin as savings technology, but that's something that I've, kind of connected the dots between where it's like Bitcoin encourages you to save money and saving money has always been something that's like been part of my, you know, DNA and upbringing. And so that's something that if, if I think of what in my childhood connects really well with Bitcoin today, I think it, it's probably something along those lines because I didn't, I didn't grow up in some country that, had rampant inflation or anything like that. Like I've been very lucky and privileged in my life. And so I don't quite have as exciting a story there as most people, but I think that what really resonates for me is the the savings side of things. Yeah, it, it's true. Um, coming to the realization for a lot of people that um, it is that this amazing savings technology uh, is unlocking a whole new that this could be the thing that unlocks the the people entering that this next bull run. 2017, I felt it was all number go up, all the noobs coming in and the people finding it and going crazy was all just number go up, number go up, number go up. Yep. And yep. you know, look what happened. Um, a big percentage of of those guys got got their hands burnt and got shaken out on the way back down and never wanted to come back. Uh, but with what's you know kind of happened since then with the amount of education and the uh, geopolitical kind of where we are right now in the world of of all this nonsense going on getting all the way down to zero and in many cases negative interest rates people are asking a hell of a lot more different questions yeah. than they were back in 2017 so this the real this questions. language right yeah. the and the language around savings technology, I think, is key. I think there's two aspects to this. Savings technology and uh, making SATs the standard, which is 
because trying to take away that fear of the the high sticker price uh do you have any kind of thoughts around that yeah i think it's something that is interesting for people to wrap their minds around the first time they they think about like oh bitcoin is so expensive and um it's really it's a relative thing uh, depending on how you're looking at it from a units basis but then it's also just when you make a mind shift, mindset shift, and SATs the standard to me means two different things. It's like you talk about SATs more often as a unit, but then it's also about having Bitcoin as a standard of what you actually value your own savings in. And so this gets into some of the, what I think is going to be, frankly, further off, potentially, uh, you know, years, decades from now, hyper Bitcoinization style talk. But um, I think when people really start thinking about their savings in terms of something like Bitcoin, and they're not just thinking about Bitcoin as a way to get more dollars, that's when they make that sats the standard flip, where they're then thinking, well, I'm just, I'm just saving my money in Bitcoin, and I intend to hold it there forever, rather than... I intend to hold it there until it goes up in price and then cash out. Because that's when, you, when you're thinking about it just as a short-term investment is when it seems expensive. But when you're thinking about it as a long-term savings technology, that's when it, it seems, uh, well, if, if you really think about it, it, it's cheap as it is right now. But the actual price of it just matters a little bit less. It still matters because you have to buy things and in dollars or pounds or whatever, right? But it matters a little bit less. And and that's something where I think sats the standard and savings technology just kind of starts to come in. Yeah, it's um it's been great to watch that narrative. I was talking with a, a boomer friend today, talking her through, you know, how to set up an account uh, over here in France and on which service to use. And, you know, like soon as the sticker price comes up, like, what what do you mean is this much money? Yeah. Uh, but 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 thankfully the the service we were using, big shout out, Stack and Sat, uh, they um they have on their their landing page um how much how many sats you can buy. It's like 153 euros gets you a million sats. And she's like, Whoa, a million sats? I'm like, shit. Yeah, that's a lot. This works. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like this. This sat standard thing is this is going to be real key going forward. Uh, so it's um it's a bit of mental math though. I think uh, we need a, a quick kind of uh, app out there. I'm sure there is one. If I'm doing anyone a disservice, uh, or someone can point me towards a, a quick uh, sats converter, um, because yeah, it's, it, that's it's tough to do it in your head. It's, it is tough to do it in your head, and you almost need to have like people, all of the different companies that have products in the industry have to start offering a view your balance in sats type of thing, um, which has its own kind of, you know, UX problems and and weird things you have to deal with. Like suddenly you got to show like eight zeros on a screen or something like that and figure out how to make that look good. But um, I think it's something that it, as we start to see more people offering that as an option, people will be thinking about the price in sats a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a lot more natural right now to think about the price in Bitcoin as the main unit. Yeah. 
Okay, let's go back. You're 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 growing up Midwest. You're scooping ice cream. You you hate the fact that you you're ever gonna uh, kind of have to part with your money. What's um what what was the 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 family business? What what was your father doing? And uh, what kind of lessons do you think you learned from him along the way? Yeah, well, so my dad worked in uh, advertising. My mom worked in healthcare, and uh, I think that you know what I what I actually learned from both of them was the most important thing was just working hard is how you get ahead in life and things don't necessarily come to you just for free, or at least the best things don't come to you for free. And so I I think that was the biggest lesson that I, I learned growing up. You know, um, I always had chores to do around the house and it was just expected as being Hank, we, we, we've been we've been interrupted. Oh, <laughs> the, the interrogation's about to start. <laughs> Perfect. Lauren, Lauren's finished her French lesson. Bonjour, Hi. Lauren. <laughs> Bonjour. Hi, Lauren. Bonjour. Good this to meet you. This is Nick. Good to meet you too. Okay. Okay. So my question is, how did you find Bitcoin? Straight to the question. That's a good good question. We have and we haven't covered that one yet, but it's it, we I haven't. feel like it's a a good one to cover. Um, I actually, I originally found Bitcoin because um, I, as a lot of people did, got interested in seeing the price go up. And it was like, whoa, what's what's going on with this investment that is just skyrocketing in price? And so I started learning more about it after that point. And that was where I really started to understand I actually came in through more of the technical side of it. So a lot of people come in through the economic side where they say, oh, there's only 21 million Bitcoin. It's an inflation hedge, which is awesome. That just wasn't how I originally came in. I really was looking at the technical side of a decentralized network that nobody controls and where individuals have their real, the real power and the ownership. And I got really interested in, in private keys because of that. And this gets more into like the why CASA side of things. But we were just, I was looking at this and thinking that if anybody is going to save any meaningful amount of money in Bitcoin, they are taking this huge risk that if they lose a private key, they lose all of their money. And so this kind of compounded as something for me that was a really interesting and unique challenge for Bitcoin. And so layering on kind of being interested from a technical and decentralized network side. And then also uh, the challenge of solving the the user experience around private keys and helping people to actually be able to store their life savings if they want to in Bitcoin without having to worry about losing it due to one mistake was something that was really interesting to me. And so that was where, how I really started, got started in Bitcoin and and started digging in and, and working in it. Uh, that's that that no, that's just kind of cool because then you just see that coming, and then you start learning about Bitcoin, and then you know what's happening. Yeah, exactly. How we? How did you learn about Bitcoin first? <sighs> he did not stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a uh, there's a trend here between your two daughters, Daniel. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, my wife and my my other daughter and my son would probably say the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you, do you have any more questions for Nick? Um. No, I think that's it. Okay. Cool. You'll say goodbye. Uh, beer. Uh, yeah. It must be. A, yeah, six thirty. Uh, yeah, sure. Just a little. Okay. Bit. Let's not get Did too you buy crazy. Any? Yeah, there's some okay, in the fridge. Okay, yes. bye. Bye. Good to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Have a great podcast. Thank you. Uh, you really always want to be on. I know. <laughs> okay, I have no idea what we were talking about before that. Oh, your parents. Uh, advertising, uh, healthcare, instilling a good work ethic yeah. uh nothing falls out of the sky money doesn't grow on trees that kind of um that kind of uh, upbringing which uh that's the kind of upbringing i had as well and my wife and i think you know we're very lucky in the fact that we had that upbringing because i yeah. i look around at some of my 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 old peers and friends and uh, colleagues and like that the the the, the uh, frivolity with 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 their money is just uh, it's like a disease an absolute disease and when to give an example uh, we're, we're obviously we're clearly different ages uh when our generation were turning around 17 or 18 we were mailed on our birthdays mailed out of the blue by by banks or by credit card companies credit cards pre-loaded credit cards into our homes with yeah. our names on all embossed and pre-loaded with like uh, 150 pounds or something little did we know how oh my god little did we know how under attack we were and i look back on it now and i have you know uh, some shocking examples of some some close friends of mine at the time thank you Lauren that were just it it was like a drug there's no other way to to explain it it was like a drug and of course they would go and the 150 pounds that was preloaded on the thing would be gone within a day and then an extra 100 on top and then the week after that an extra 100 they get to the end of the month and you'd be saying to these guys like what are you doing like you, you you realize you have to pay this back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get around to it. And then they don't. And then it's what? Like, even back then, it was 21.4, 24.5%. Like, yeah, yeah it's a lot of interest. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was that, that was something that, that I was always taught growing up was like, yeah, fine. Use a credit card. Get get the points that they offer you, all that. That's great. But you you always pay it off every single month and then you never have interest. Right. And, but when you start accruing the interest side of things is when you start getting into the hole and that's when it, that's when it hurts. So you use a credit card, but you treat it like a debit card and you only spend what you have kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, I just, I feel so bad for the, for the, uh, the people that, you know, managed to get themselves into, into all kinds of debt and then a long, just that next wave, like just a year or two after after us, that's when university fees started becoming like ridiculous. And th yep. there was no digging your way out of this trap. None. And it was just, uh, yeah, pretty bad. So anyway, you got um, you got down the rabbit hole uh, on the uh, on, from the technical standpoint. 
Yep. Uh, what um, what year was that? Do you remember? Or you you don't have to share if you don't want to. It's entirely no. Up to it's you. okay. It, it was like late 2016, early 2017. So it was during the last bull run. Really, was where I I came into Bitcoin. So, um, you know, I don't have some massive stash of Bitcoin hiding away <laughs> that I. So don't come after me, anybody. <laughs> uh, but you know, I've got a. Uh, I've been kind of stacking since that point and it's something where for me it was it's definitely more of like a a here for the the revolution type thing and it's something that's super interesting and that's why I've been you know I, I started getting interested in it in that late 2016 early 2017 really started actually working in it in 2018 and so then it's been a a few years that I've, I've been working in Bitcoin, but it's something that, um, is just, as everybody knows, who's gone down the rabbit hole, you get interested in it. And then suddenly you're spending all of your time on it. And so then it's like, well, I might as well just have my full-time job in, in this space because I'm already basically doing a full-time job reading and learning about Bitcoin. What were you doing? What what was the job? So uh, I'm guessing you'd gone through university and and left and uh, yep. you know got yourself a, a little career on the go, and then along comes Bitcoin and big change. And I'd actually like to to get into how you managed that transition because it's one of the most requested questions I get in my DMs. Like, how the hell do I start working in this space? I'm trying to figure out myself, guys. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, um, that's a good question what were you doing so what i actually started my career in finance i was an investment banker for a while and um did that for a few years before i decided it was just too much of a soul-sucking existence and so (laughs) decided to um move into like building companies and products and i i joined a startup in the travel tech space and I was there for a couple of years. And that was when, like, while I was there, I really got interested in in Bitcoin. And so the way that I actually made the jump from just a normal tech job into, into Bitcoin was, first I started writing. And I started writing about, um, you know, different, I actually kind of originally started off with Ethereum and, and made my way into Bitcoin the way that a lot of people do of you know, starting with like, oh, there's all these different co- cryptocurrencies that you can have and then realizing, oh, the simplicity of Bitcoin is really the most important and interesting thing that's going on in this space. But uh, I was writing for a while and just having some decent success just writing articles that were basically explaining technical concepts in an easy to understand way. And so like this was during the period when there was a lot of like white papers coming out. And so I would read through a white paper and then try and like summarize it in a way that made sense and add some like goofy drawings to it with my terrible drawing ability. But it was basically just about like creating something, right. And then, and trying to do a good job of it. And then people started to see it and, and started to pay attention. And then for fun, I decided to participate in a hackathon. And that was when I I really just was like, okay, I need to just put myself out there and and do something in this space. Um, And so in that hackathon, I went in and met a team ahead of time over Slack. Didn't know any of these people, but they were awesome people to work with. We um, 
did a project around private keys. And so we said, I had I was already kind of on to this idea of like private keys really are terrible user experience and are super anxiety inducing. Um, you know, I don't want to write down this seed phrase that's 24 random words that I put on a piece of paper and then have to figure out how to make sure I never lose it. That's just crazy. And so um, we went into this hackathon with a idea to allow people to split their private key into multiple pieces and then give those each of those pieces to a different person. And if they ever lost their hardware wallet or their phone or whatever their private their wallet was on, they could go talk to those people and get those pieces back and then recreate that private key. And so this was using what was called Shamir's secret sharing. And there's quite a few um, products out there that actually do this today. Like Trezor's made an implementation within the last year or so. And I think this hackathon project was one of the very first like implementations of this for private keys. So we ended up winning that hackathon. And then after that, I got connected with the CASA team who were really just getting started. And so joined and, and helped build out our product from the very beginning to through to actually launching it um, like midway through 2018. Cool. Wow. You, you, you're very brave. You, you mentioned investment banking and Ethereum. Uh, so, yeah. you know, be- <laughs> bring, bring on all the haters. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's my background too. I was uh, I was not on the banking side. I was on the brokerage side. Eighteen years in foreign exchange, and yeah, part of my shitcoiny past was uh, diversifying. In air quotes, listeners don't don't listen to that advice in uh, in Ethereum and Dash at the time. But um, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people. There's a lot of people who like to pretend that they've been pure Bitcoin maximalists all the time, but. Um, Actually, I think the majority of people go through a phase where you you kind of you, you think there's value in other things and there's going to be a ton of different cryptocurrencies that are all wildly successful. And then as you learn more, you start to realize, man, like the vast, vast majority of the value is going to accumulate in Bitcoin. And so that's where I should be spending my time. So I, I don't I don't think there's any no judgment for people that had a shitcoin phase. I think the majority of people have had that in their life. No doubt. And and coming from such a legacy system, like like investment banking or for myself in foreign exchange markets, and having, you know, looked at stocks and shares for, for, for many years, that I, I think what altcoins or shitcoins <clears throat> lends to somebody that's coming from that lens is a a figurehead, like a CEO, yeah. and that's what we used to, right? You know, for for me, when I was entering the rabbit hole, Bitcoin was like all weird and shit, and like what it came out of thin air. And who's this Satoshi Nakamoto? Does he yeah. exist? Doesn't he exist? Well, there's something over here with well, at least that has a CEO, and at least that has you know guys I can learn about and what are his past because that's what you do when you're looking at a stock, right? If you invest in a stock, first thing you do is look at the C-suite. And then right. you look at their track record and whatever else. Um, so I think that's kind of an easy trap for for people coming from that world to fall into. But do you, which investment bank was it? Do you, do you mind me asking? Yeah, sure. I worked for Lazard originally. 
And uh, what, what was the what was the role? Could you, because I still, a lot of Zoomers listen to the show and I'm sure many of them are, are, are trying to get into finance in some way, shape or form. Uh, I, I just try and lift the lid on what that world is actually like once you get sure. there. Could you just give uh, people listening a kind of blow by blow of, of what you were doing? Yeah, so I, I worked for Lazard. I was this was my job fresh out of college as an analyst, and basically what I was doing was doing financial models and a lot of like presentations. Basically, I was working in the um, Lazard. Really does only M and A. They do M and A and some bankruptcy stuff, but advising. But I was in the M and A side in oil and gas specifically, and so um, really it was a great experience. Like you work crazy hours, hundred hour weeks kind of thing at, at the worst times. I think my worst week ever was like 120 hours, which was terrible. <laughs> um, but the experience that you get out of it in terms of what you get to see, like getting to be in the room with company C-suites talking about their business, it's really invaluable. And you just, by sheer number of hours worked, you end up getting about four years of experience in two years time. But at the same time, it's like I said, soul sucking. And so I knew that I didn't want to spend my entire career doing that. Um, I actually went into private equity after that. And because that's kind of the path you take, you go investment banking, then you go into private equity. And I thought that was just going to be my path. And I was going to take the standard kind of finance path to getting rich, basically. And then <laughs> realized that it just, to me, the work in doing it every day wasn't worthwhile for the money that I was getting. So I ended up taking a pay cut by half to go work in startups and couldn't have been happier doing it. So I, I think while I learned a lot, it wasn't the long-term path for me. And I think that's totally fine. You know, everybody has their own path. Yeah. I think it's really underestimated the toll it takes on your body. The, when you're working in that one, in that pressurized, stressful environment, obviously the, the hours that you put in, but the, the lack of sleep, the lack of exercise, the lack of nutrition, the highs, the lows, you know, if a deal yep. goes through euphoric high, and you know if the deal if you miss the deal like the most depressing low yeah uh these are all chemicals the whole time firing around in your body and uh it's it's a toll and the amount of people i've seen burn out or affect their lives in such negative ways uh you know it, it forms addictions in, in across all vices it's ruined marriages yeah. and at the end of the day for what yeah like you said to get rich get rich in fiat terms right. and now we have bitcoin uh, which is just like we all see it as this life raft and uh parallel system so okay startup you 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 get into a startup and then um the hackathon and you find the casa team what was that like making that transition to to finally getting a chance to focus all of your energy on Bitcoin, which is pretty much what you were doing in your spare time anyway. Yeah. And what advice would you give to to those people listening that, that are trying to get into a, a Bitcoin role? 
Yeah, I, I think that you just have to, it, it's a few combination of a few things. It's hard work and putting yourself out there and like spending the time to create something because that's, that's something that the Bitcoin community rewards highly compared to other industries is somebody just creating something and putting it out there um, and, and trying to help improve Bitcoin because that's, that's what everybody's doing, right? Since there's no CEO of Bitcoin, everybody's working on their own little piece that says, you know, I'm trying to improve Bitcoin in this way. And so putting that out there uh, is, is really great. And that's the first step to take. Um, it also helps if that's not just the same thing that everybody else is doing. Like there's a, I think there's a lot of people who think that, you know, going on Bitcoin Twitter, creating a anonymous account with HODL in the name and tweeting toxic maximalist things is like helping Bitcoin. And, and it's really not, it helps to some extent, right? But not that much. So like go build something and actually create something like make long form content, put some thought into it. Think about what other people aren't doing that you could be doing. And then people will see value in that. And companies like Casa, like other Bitcoin companies are looking for people who are already proving that they're providing value. And so that will really help, I think, in terms of just making, making a name for yourself and having something to point to. But the second thing that I totally can't discount at all is luck. Like I got lucky that I had such a great group for that hackathon of smart people that I worked with. I got lucky that we won. I got lucky that, um, you know, after that Casa reached out and, you know, I, I was able to join that team. Um, so there, there's a lot of lucky pieces in there, but hard work like puts you in the right position to take advantage of luck when it, when it happens. Um, so I, I think that's the way that I, I think about it. And it's, I mean, it's interesting because now I'm, I'm the CEO at Casa, but I wasn't originally the CEO. And so that's another thing where it's like hard work and kind of just circumstances totally beyond my control have like put me in that position. And so now it's it's to the point where it's like, okay, now, now I'm going to work my hardest at my current role to make Casa and Bitcoin as, as great as I can. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. you. You put yourself in the way of luck. And, uh, you know, it, it, it will find you. Uh, so, right, let's, let's talk about CASA. Describe to us what, what CASA is, and then we will, uh, we will talk through the, the, the services that you provide and, and uh, the new releases that you've got coming out. Yeah, definitely. So, really, we, we made CASA because of the same exact problem that I've kind of mentioned a few times here, which is that private keys are a terrible user experience to manage. But when you have it done right, they're incredibly empowering to people. And so this idea of the sovereign individual and of digital sovereignty and being able to have real ownership through private keys of things like your wealth through Bitcoin or your identity one day your data, your end-to-end -end encrypted communication, all of that is controlled by private keys. And so the, we really see private keys as the foundation for a new internet that's, that's getting built. 
over the next 10 years. And a lot of that is going to be built on Bitcoin. But like I said, private keys suck to use. And if you lose a private key, you lose everything. And so we started Casa to say, let's, let's make this easier for the average person. Because right now, this experience of being a sovereign individual is limited to the cypherpunks. It's limited to the people who are highly technical and who really built this from the start. So how do we bring this to regular people so that they can take advantage of all these benefits that is currently just only really accessible to a small group? Um, and, and so, you know, when, when we look at that, that's why it's so interesting that what we're working on, because we, we actually really believe this is one of the critical pieces for Bitcoin mass adoption is allowing anybody to manage their own private keys and to do it in a way that is not risky and is user friendly. Um, and so that's why, you know, we're super focused on, on private key management as what we're building. Um, and it takes a lot of education because people, people aren't used to this. We've grown up for hundreds of years. Civilization has used banks, um, you know, like we originally, I, I've been thinking about this recently and kind of want to do some more research on this to maybe write a longer blog post on it or something like that. But originally people carried around their money on their person or they maybe stored it in their house. Like, you know, they had the seashells, which they carried on the necklaces and all that, like the Nick Zabo origins of money post that he, where it's really interesting. He goes into how money was started and then we had gold coins and people were carrying around gold coins and turns out carrying around a ton of coins is heavy. So banks were started and because it was just way more convenient to let somebody else hold your gold coins and to give you a paper certificate that said, this person has this many coins. And then people started trading those paper certificates around in order to pay for goods. And the banking system is born. Well, what's interesting about Bitcoin is that suddenly self-custody, being able to hold your Bitcoin yourself becomes just as easy as using a piece of paper. And so we've gone from this kind of layer two money of trusting other people down to back to a very usable form of digital layer one base money in Bitcoin. And so it's we believe it's really a part of human nature to want to have that control over your money, but people have been conditioned for so long to that. It's the convenient thing to do to give it to somebody else. Um, and, and we think that the, actually Bitcoin can significantly change this and, and give us the capability to have that real ownership again. Yeah. It's such a, <laughs> again, this, this lady, I was, trying to explain Bitcoin to today and, and, and help uh, understand it. Last time she came to visit uh, a week ago to, to say hi to the kids and that uh, we got into the conversation and I lent her uh, Internet of Money by uh, Andreas's first book. Yeah. And she bought it back today and, and passed it back. And today I've passed her the little Bitcoin book to, to take that away with her. And the, the first thing she said was, I was shocked at how quickly I read that book 
I couldn't put it down. Yeah. And how interesting I found it was learning about money. And this comes up time and time again. Yeah. Uh, and Breedlove talks about this. You know, just keep asking the question, what is money? You know, what is money is the rabbit. Keep following the rabbit down the rabbit hole and just let him take you, you know, five times a day. Ask, what is money? What is money? What is money? Right. And it's uh, it's so true that it's it's a primal instinct. It's intuitive. And that I, I think Bitcoin is intuition. And it will find you at some stage when you're ready. Yeah. Uh, so it's just fascinating to 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 watch this, to study it, to to see how it affects different people, um, and help people as well. Which is what we're all ultimately here for. You guys, uh, this is why you started a company to 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 solve a problem that you saw a need to in the free market to to try and help people. Uh, so what what are the different, you know, what are the layers of service of CASA? Talk us through like uh, the onboarding experience, where we can find you, how we interact with it and uh, how we ultimately go from what, well, yeah, uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. So I'll give a, before we go into like the, the, oh, here's every single little offering and what the, the pricing is and all of that. I think what's, what's interesting to understand is some of the the philosophy behind the way that we approach this so we looked at what existed in the bitcoin industry when when casa was really getting off the ground in early 2018 and what we realized was two things so bitcoin originally was obviously made by cypherpunks and engineers which is great that's how it had to start um but they don't always build with like this great UX in mind. And so they're really uh, on the UX side. If you wanted a smooth user experience, you had to go to an exchange like Coinbase. And in order to uh, do that, you have to give up control of your private keys. And so before Casa, there was really two alternatives. It was either you chose the really difficult technical side in order to have ownership of your private keys, or you went with an exchange because that was the easy way and a good user experience. And really what we're trying to do with Casa is be the ramp from the exchange to the fully sovereign individual. And so the way that we've structured our offering is to be that ramp. So at the very like most basic free level, Casa is just a mobile wallet, but it's a mobile wallet where you don't have to worry about your seed phrase. So you are fully in control. The private keys are stored on your phone's uh, secure element. Casa does not have access to those keys, unlike using an exchange app. But we don't, unlike other apps, when you sign up, when you first open up the app, we don't say, write down this 24 word phrase and keep it somewhere safe. We just create the key on your device and then we encrypt it and back it up to the cloud. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, putting a key on the cloud, that's, that's bad, right? And yes, it is if you're storing a large amount of money. 
But when you're first getting into Bitcoin, you, you've got a couple hundred dollars or, or maybe even less worth of Bitcoin. And so um, you don't need a hardware wallet. You don't need to worry about all these different things. And so what we've done is given you the best level of security for your level of holdings. And then what we do is once you cross, I believe we have it set at like $1,000 worth of Bitcoin, we start saying, hey, you should think about having more, getting more security for your Bitcoin. And so that's when you can start getting into some of the other CASA offerings, which are around multi-sig. Um, and the, the whole idea behind multi-sig is to make basically key management and the risk of holding your own private keys uh, make key management easier and make that risk lower. And so instead, when you have, for example, three keys protecting your Bitcoin or five keys protecting your Bitcoin, depending on what level of, of CASA product you're using, you don't have to worry about losing one key anymore. Sometimes you don't even have to worry about losing two keys because you still have the other keys that are protecting your funds. And so this means that it actually, it lets people be humans. It lets people make mistakes. So, you know, we can't build Bitcoin on the assumption that nobody will ever make a mistake, which is how it works when you have a single private key with a seed phrase. Um, and so that's something that, that we've really worked to build into our product is, is let people be human, let them make mistakes. And this is basically like graduation levels of security. So you start with your free mobile wallet. You can even buy Bitcoin directly to that wallet in your app. So you get total in our app. So you can totally get started with Bitcoin from, from the beginning with Casa. And then as you start to get more Bitcoin or as your Bitcoin goes up in value, we help you get better with your security and give move you further and further along the path towards this sovereign individual future where you are really in full control of everything that's most important to you, which is like your money and your identity, et cetera. Very cool. Uh, I want to touch on something there. You, you, you've got a fiat on-ramp, which uh, the, not a great deal of wallets do offer that service. So that's, that's pretty, that's very cool. Uh, how do you, how was that built? How, how does that work? Um, who's yeah. the, do, do you do, where do you get the liquidity from? Do you have like one uh, exchange that you get to, or can you just round out R that? Yeah. Right now we use a company called Wire, who we partner with, and they basically provide the liquidity. They act as the money transmitter, handle all the the regulatory and KYC side, because what was important for us is for people who don't want to use this feature, we don't want to KYC them. We don't want to, you know, have to take all of this personal data about people. And even for the people who do want to buy Bitcoin, Casa doesn't want to store their personal data. Um, and so this is something where we work with a third party on this and we've basically taken this third party's tools and APIs and built a really nice experience around it within the CASA app. And this lets people just skip the exchange entirely. So rather than having to say to your friend who is, is going to start buying some Bitcoin, well, first you need to go to the exchange and you need to sign up there, right. then buy your Bitcoin, but then you need another wallet and then you got to 
write down your seed phrase for that other wallet and then uh, make sure you keep it safe. Don't lose it or you lose all your money, but go ahead and move your funds over from the exchange to that wallet and then you'll be a real Bitcoiner. And so what <laughs> we uh, are trying to do there is just let people start the right way from the beginning and make it just as easy an experience as buying Bitcoin with Cash App or with Coinbase or any other exchange out there, but do it in a way where they, that Bitcoin gets sent straight to their self-custody where only they hold the keys. Um, it's not the solution for somebody who is trading Bitcoin uh, full-time, right? But it's the solution for the, the hodler, the person that's just stacking sats and using it as savings technology. Yeah, well, the noob. But uh, yeah. I think that's that's cool. Do you have... a a set it and forget it option as well to for for auto buys. We don't yet. We want to, but we're not not quite there yet. So we just released this feature in full, really, um, in October, and so it's been it's a pretty new feature for us. And we want to get to the the recurring buys though, because while all of us on the team do recurring buys, it's we're big fans of that, and we think it's an important part of of saving your money in Bitcoin. So. Yeah. Okay, cool. So where is this available? Is this, I'm thinking, oh, the only catch right now for people listening might be it's only available in in one certain country or on one certain platform. Uh, Could you like uh, tell us where we'd be able to go and look at this? Yeah. So Casa as a, a product from the Bitcoin storage and custody self custody side of things is available anywhere in the world because in the end you the the user are the one who is holding the keys and so casa doesn't have any sort of country by country regulatory restrictions there um we have uh clients and customers all over the world today so you know anybody anybody anywhere can can use that part of our product on the actual buying Bitcoin side, there it gets a little more nuanced because that's when you start to get into the regulation side of things, right? So um, we have the ability to do bank transfer purchases in the US only. And then we have the ability to do um, debit card and Apple Pay purchases in a lot more countries around the world. And so that includes a lot of countries in the EU, um, the UK, um, some in kind of Central and South America, Asia, Australia. So there's a few, uh, a much broader range of, of support for the Apple Pay debit card side. Um, the downsides to that are just that there's lower limits on the total amount of Bitcoin that you can buy. And the fee tends to be a little bit higher because you're actually paying a credit card processing fee. So we want to roll out that kind of bank uh, bank purchase capability to uh, more people around the world, but have to take it piece by piece because there is kind of a regulatory piece to it. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. And what's next? What are you guys thinking? What are the big plans? Is there anything you're allowed to discuss with us? Or is there some top secret works going on behind the scene? Yeah. So um, we have quite a few different things that we're really focused on. Um, but it all centers around managing private keys. And so we are really focused on how do we make private key management and self-custody of Bitcoin easier 
and more safe for everybody. Um, no matter how much Bitcoin you're holding, you know, we have people that hold everywhere from $50 worth of Bitcoin to millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin with Casa. And that's why we provide all of those different levels of security within our product. And so what we are trying to do is think about what are the needs of different types of people uh, holding different amounts of Bitcoin, but all centered around how do we make it as easy as possible and as safe as possible for people to have real ownership here. Um, and so uh, I guess some, some of the things that, that wrap into that are improving our service offering. So we have a really great service offering that we're always work, working to make better for people who are storing larger amounts of Bitcoin. And so we work with people that are, you know, we have people come to us that are looking to make an investment of 100K or more dollars in Bitcoin and say, how do I secure this? I've never owned Bitcoin before. And we have a whole service team where they can actually get on the phone with them, walk them through everything and make sure that they they fully understand how to be a sovereign individual, how to own their private keys. Um, that was something that we really realized was, was missing as well. Aside from the user experience side of things, we really realized that that service element was missing from the Bitcoin ecosystem. And so that's something that that we offer a really hands-on version of to our, our uh, higher tier clients. And we're always working to, to improve that and, and ma make that a better experience for those clients. And then some of the, the product side things that we're thinking about are like inheritance. So inheritance is something that is a unique problem to people self-custodying their Bitcoin. And so far we've rolled out a, a feature to our highest tier clients that has an inheritance offering that's really robust and uh, has a lot of hands-on work from our team built into it. And that's something that because we put so much time and learning into it, we're actually able to take what we've learned there and bring it to our other customers and give them a great experience with setting up an, an inheritance um, protocol or setup for their family. And so that's something that we're focused on, on bringing to uh, a lot more of our customers over the next year. Um, we're looking at ways to make private key management simpler, how to, how to make it simpler to interact with the hardware wallet, um, to make sure that you're using it correctly, that it's easy to set up, all that kind of thing, because it, we've taken a, while we've taken a lot of steps to make things easier for the average person, there is still some learning curve where you still have to learn a bit about what is this hardware wallet that looks like a USB stick. And I, I have to do things like confirm addresses on it. And so there's, there's always things around that, that we can, we really want to try and make easier for, for the average person, because in our view, one, all of that translates into being a, a, a thing that is actually good and empowering for the average person. And two, it helps Bitcoin adoption on a, on a mass scale. Um, because where we don't want to end up is if we, if we don't do this, if we don't make it easier for people to manage their private keys, you end up in a world where you've recreated the banking system 
just on top of Bitcoin because it's super easy to hold your funds on an exchange and suddenly the majority of Bitcoin after there's mass adoption around the world is stored on different exchanges, um, which just really hampers the ability of Bitcoin to be successful. Um, so I think that's something that, you know, it, it's kind of a long and winding answer there for a few of the different <laughs> things we're focused on, but it all circles back to making private key security better. And I want to, multi-sig is something that a lot of people, it's been a big topic recently yep. and it's going to get bigger because, I mean, let's face it, if people have been here four or five years and they've stacked all through this this bare winter and all of a sudden the price of Bitcoin, here we are, we're almost all-time highs. Many of us here believe, give it another two months, we'll be pushing... 30,000 and yeah. then going into 2021, we could be by mid 2021, we could be a hundred thousand people's hardware wallets are going to start getting heavy and people yep. are going to start losing a bit of sleep. And this all comes down to like this private key management and what you're talking about multi-sig. And this is a, this is new language for a lot of people. And for a lot of people that have these hardware wallets, have been here for two or three years. This is this is the next step, and many many of us in the space at this stage in down the rabbit hole in the journey, a lot of people think that the Bitcoin is on that little USB stick. Yeah, this is a bit of a head turner for a lot of people and it's something i had to come to terms with myself uh whatever however many years ago it was it was like huh what what do you mean it's it's not on here so could you just try and explain to people that might be thinking what the hell princey talking about uh for those that are are finding themselves in that position you know where where the bitcoin is what that hard wallet acts as and then how you guys can incorporate that into a multi-signature setup. Yeah, so the the Bitcoin, like you said, is not on the hardware. It's, it's really on the ledger of the network, which is distributed to all of the different nodes and miners. They each keep a copy of it themselves, right? But if you want to think about this in a physical form, it's kind of like, pretend the the bitcoin is in a vault and the uh hardware wallet that you have is actually just the key to open up that vault um which lets you do what you want with that bitcoin and so when it's actually when you take it back to kind of the bitcoin network view of things the private key cryptographically is what allows you to prove your ownership of the bitcoin to the rest of the network and say I am cryptographically the owner here and allowed to send it to X other person. And so it's really, uh, it's about what is written on that decentralized ledger in all of the nodes and participants in the network. And then your hardware is the key to accessing that. So then when you look at this from a multi-sig perspective, we, and we get, I'm glad you brought this up because we get this question a lot. People are like, okay, so now that I've got my multi-sig set up, 
how much Bitcoin is on each hardware wallet. So if I lose one hardware wallet, how much Bitcoin do I lose? And what, and obviously that's, that's not the case. The Bitcoin is on the network and the way that multi-sig works is that instead of needing one key to actually move that Bitcoin, you need more than one key to move that Bitcoin. But what's interesting is that instead of saying, oh, I've got three keys now and I need all three of them to move my Bitcoin, you can say, I've got five keys and I only need three of them to move my Bitcoin. And so then you can choose any three of those five that you want to use to prove, yes, I own this Bitcoin and I want to send it to this location. So then the, the benefit there, like I was saying earlier, is just that you can actually lose one, two of those five keys and still be able to move your funds. And the nice thing about Casa is that we make it really easy for you to swap out a key if you lose it. So let's say you lose one key, you realize you've lost it. Instead of freaking out like, oh, I lost, might have lost all my Bitcoin. I need to go find my seed phrase and hope it works when I type it into a new hardware wallet. You just say, forget that hardware wallet. I've got my other four that are still available and I'm going to add a fifth and then transfer the funds to this new fully five key protected wallet once again. And you're back to kind of full health, you could call it. So that's at a really basic level how multi-sig works. And multi-sig as a term is it's kind of difficult for people to, to wrap their minds around because a signature is, is a difficult concept. And so another way to think about it is just to think about it as like, you know about 2FA, right? And so 2FA means you need two factors to authenticate a login to a website or something. So multi-sig is like 3FS, like three-factor security if you have three keys, or it's 5FS if it's five-factor security for five total keys. And so this is something that's just a slight tweak on the, the way we talk about it that we've been kind of playing with, but it's something that I think might help to explain this better to the average person. Yeah, it's it's a tough one to to get your head around, uh, as as especially as newbies or half newbies coming into the space. Um, but what what I like about what you said at the beginning, well, halfway through the show there about uh, how you know you you offer the service of a, a gradual journey. You know, yeah. you come in, you got the app, you can buy with fiat. You don't have to worry about the seed phrases at that point. And then after thousand dollars, whatever it is, then you get the, the push notification, guys, time to step up. And then after a certain amount of time, hey, guys, how about, you know, multi-signature? Uh, it, it's a nice educational flow to it. Uh, I think uh, it, it sounds really cool. Yeah, and I think that's something that um, the educational part is a big part of CASA's DNA and, and mission. Like we realize that, and I think a lot of Bitcoiners do a great job of realizing this, that you have to educate people in order to help them make the mental leaps necessary for them to really understand Bitcoin and not just be in it because they're going to get a short-term investment boost. And so there's a lot of people that work on this from the angle of the economic side of, of like talking about why Bitcoin is such a great improvement on money economically. 
where CASA tends to focus is talking about it from a more um, technical and security and individual sovereignty side and educating people about that angle of Bitcoin, because there's a lot of people already that are doing the the first one around the, the 21 million cap, you know, n- no inflation, et cetera. But the, um, the other side, the sovereignty side is just as interesting. There's a, a, a little bit less people talking about it. And so that's where CASA has really chosen to focus. Yeah. Uh, there was a question there. I, damn it. It's just escaped me, but I wanted to ask you, where has it gone? It'll come back to me. Uh, I always want to ask people on the show, um, towards the end of the show, you know, if you had one orange pill left to give to someone, who would you give that to and why? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> you know, probably, probably my parents. I mean, <laughs> I've already kind of worked on my wife and my friends and, so they're they're kind of done. They're already on our side, right? But probably my parents because they don't really know. They'd probably be open to it. They don't really know that much about Bitcoin, though. They kind of feel like it's a little bit out of their their technical range. But growing up, they were the ones that taught me about the value of hard work, the value of saving money. And so that's something that I think if I had one orange pill left, uh, probably give it to them. That's a great answer. And I think about that as well. It's like, you know, you guys instilled all of this in me. Why do you roll your eyes when I tell you about it? What? Why don't you listen to the podcast? You're a CEO of a company. It's like, guys, look, you know, yeah. this, this is my thing. This is what I do. Just show an ounce of interest, just a little bit. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. I remember the question I did want to ask you. It was about other other uh, common questions from users around multisig. You mentioned this is one thing that people uh, kind of struggle with, uh, not understanding where their Bitcoin is, and uh, is it all in? Then is it all in one vault? Um, is there is there any other question like what was question number two or three on the list that people are asking you about that, that you could share with us and uh, and try and help people come to terms with? Yeah, I think. An interesting question that we get from a lot of people who have been in Bitcoin for a while is why do you not need your seed phrase with CASA? And so that's something that freaks a lot of people out, to be honest. And there's people, there's other people in the space who advocate multi-sig, but they also say you need to keep all of your seed phrases. Um, For us, it's one of those things where we think that seed phrases are a just an unnatural user experience that are generally a blocker to mass adoption of Bitcoin because people aren't used to securing a bunch of words on a piece of paper. You know, you can't even put it into a password manager kind of thing. People are just getting used to using a password manager and you're telling them you got to put your seed phrase on paper. You can't put it on a password manager. And so, um, we get asked why no seed phrases by a lot of Bitcoiners. And what it really comes down to is just that when you have a multi-sig model, it no longer matters if you lose one key. And so you don't have to worry about 
key recovery anymore. It becomes about the resilience more of the entire system of keys rather than the resilience of a single key. And so it's just, for one, it's an extra step that is generally unnecessary for people um, and is, is not a great user experience. But two, and this is a little bit less of a, of a issue in our book, because I think that people tend to overestimate this risk, but having a seed phrase lying around is a bit of a risk from a theft side of things, because if somebody finds that seed phrase, they can actually copy it down without you ever knowing. And so in that scenario, one of the keys in your multi-sig is compromised without you knowing about it. Um, whereas if you only have your hardware key, they have to actually take that hardware key in order to have that key. And you would know, hey, I, I'm now missing this key. I need to mark it as compromised within CASA and rotate it out for a new one. So that's, and we have a whole blog post about this. And this is something where a lot of people, you know, disagree with our, our stance on it. But for us, it's something that we think is a, an unnecessary part of Bitcoin's past. If you want to keep your seed phrase, if you're, if you're a Bitcoiner who's always kept their seed phrase, we have nothing against that. You know, some people get a little bit confused and they're like, so I can't keep my seed phrase if I use CASA? No, like you are the one controlling your keys. If you want to keep your seed phrase, that's totally up to you and you can. But we've built our system to be enabling of people not keeping their seed phrase because we think that's what's going to help enable this next wave of people to really become sovereign individuals to manage their own keys. It's one less thing to worry about. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the, the, the second biggest question that we get asked, or maybe they're, maybe they're out of order or whatever. That's just one of the big questions that we get asked that I, I think is important to, to put out there. And then I, I think the, maybe the last question that we get asked a lot, and, and we get asked this frequently on, on like Twitter is why do we charge the amounts that we do for our products? Like Casa generally is, um, we have our free offering, but like for the main core multi-sig products, we're charging for it. And yes, there are, there are multi-sig products out there that are free. You can do it yourself and build it all yourself and connect it to your own node and everything like that. And that's awesome for that, type of person who wants to do that. Um, but for CASA, we have put a ton of work into the service side and to the user experience side to really build this as a very premium and great product for managing your Bitcoin. And so in order for us to, to continue offering that level of service and that level of user experience, we need to charge for it. We need to build a real sustainable business here. Um, and so that's something that I think we get a lot of questions about, but what's what's kind of funny is even people that sign up for our, our higher paid tiers, which have the client service, which have the, the really hands-on white glove level of interaction, plus the high level of security, they'll finish getting set up with Casa and they'll be like, you know, I thought this was expensive when I first bought it. And now I've realized that it's pretty cheap for what I'm getting. And what I'm getting is a lot of help from you guys and real peace of mind about my Bitcoin safety. 
and that's just something that I, I think is, um, we hear it over and over again. It's like, I have so much more peace of mind now that I've got everything set up with CASA. And so that's always one of the most rewarding things that, that we can get out of this um, is when we have customers that, that come in and say, you know, you took all the anxiety I had around managing a hardware wallet and just wiped it away. I can, I can sleep well at night again. And so that's, that's really cool. So anyway, those are the three big questions I would say that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's a bunch of other questions that I I've missed in our, our support and service teams <laughs> would probably be like, yeah, you missed questions one, two, three, four, five. But um, yeah, that that's, those are the ones that I can think of that uh, are important to answer. And how are you guys thinking about, you know, I think we talked about this before we started recording, the big run-up and an influx of business. Uh, are you guys set for this? Because in 2017, we saw a lot of companies were very much uh, deluged, put yeah. under pressure. Uh, a few of them broke, couldn't handle it. Uh, we yep. won't name names. So one, one Some of, of the them big still ones. break <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> weekly, yeah. Uh, probably daily going forward, and might be down more days than they're up during the week. But uh, again, we won't name names. Yeah. Um, yeah we, it, how do you feel about that? Because I feel we're set up for just such a, a massive influx. How do you think? you guys are set for, for handling that. And, uh, what are, what are the kind of, um, contingency plans you have in place, but more importantly, you know, what's the 20 K party going to look like around at Casa? You can answer those <laughs> questions in, in wh whichever order you want. Yeah. Okay. So I think the, um, well, what's interesting about the bear and bull market cycle is that bear markets are super quiet and it's when a lot of the building gets done. And then during the bull market time is when you're just trying to keep up with volume, basically, as a business. Um, and so what we've done over the last year is really make sure that we spent some time working on our internal systems and we built them up so that they are much more scalable to handle a, a large influx of customers uh, when we need to. Because that's something that, you know, you, you have to be able to provide a good experience for people, no matter what period of Bitcoin's life cycle you're in. And you also want to be in a position where if somebody's coming in to try using Bitcoin for the first time, you don't want to give that person a bad experience because your service is down because you've had so many um, new customers coming in the door. And so it's something that we have been really working on and preparing. And for, for CASA, that means not just preparing on the technical infrastructure side and like the code side of things, but also preparing on the service side of things. And so we've put a bunch of effort in over the last year to really optimizing and ensuring that our service can handle a lot higher volume of people without reducing the quality of the service that we offer, because that's one of the most important things for us as a company is maintaining that really high bar for quality of, of service uh, for all of our customers. And so we've put a bunch of work into that over the last year, uh, super proud of, of what we've done as a team. And 
And, you know, not all of that comes out as these flashy new features, but it pays off in spades when you get to a bull market time where you really have to be ready to handle that that large-term amount of volume. So, so that's something that um, we've been really focused on and have spent a lot of time on over the last year. And we'll see if it, uh, if it pays off and maybe next year things get so wild that even the early preparation that we did isn't enough. But um, if that's the case, I think it'll be probably a good thing for uh, Bitcoin as a whole and will be affecting just about everybody in the industry. So, and you'll be looking to hire more people, which is also yep, good for exactly. the, uh, the Bitcoin space. All right, so twenty yep. k party. What's what's the plan? Are we going streaking in the park or what? What, what you know? What, what's the what's the? You pick? know, we we'll have to find something that is um, pandemic appropriate. So probably, <laughs> uh, you know, Zoom related. I, but um, yeah, I think that the the twenty k party for us is just it's everybody at Casa really loves what we're doing, and so it's taken some time to to celebrate and celebrate what we we've been able to accomplish over the last year, but then also just getting back to building because 20 K party just means that uh 30 K is probably just around the corner and with it, a whole lot of new people coming into Bitcoin. And so we want to make sure that, that those people have the best experience and, and education uh, right out of the gate as possible. And what about personally? Yeah, have you got something nice lined up? Are you a cigar man, champagne, red wine, quiet beer? Yeah, um, I think that, uh, you, you know, I personally, I get a little excited about the, the price and I, you know, kind of, I'll brag about it to some of my friends who I told to buy <laughs> it at like a long time ago and haven't or something. And I've actually- Stay humble, Nick. Managed- <laughs> I've actually luckily managed to orange pill a a few of them within the last like month or two. So they're, they're along for the ride now, which is, which is fun. But um, generally for me, the, I think it's exciting and it's, it's a temporary time to be like, man, this is, this is really cool to see where Bitcoin's at. But for me personally, it's, it's like where I really get the, the value out of it is seeing the, the things that we've built as a company, seeing things that are, are being worked on around the industry that are really cool. And I think that um, that's where I get a lot of the, the reward is kind of that internal reward, I guess. And so it's a little boring, but I don't have anything super crazy planned, but uh, I think that it's something that is just a general general feeling of excitement and um, happiness at, at what we've been able to accomplish so far. Very cool, man. We're going to see you at the 100K party. Are you, are you, are you putting your name on the list? Are yeah. You, okay. Michael so for 100K, guess. I mean, obviously we, we're <laughs> going to have a, a huge party. Like that's, that's, a, that's different than 20K. We've, we've been to 20K before or maybe just below it, but 100K, obviously let's build the Citadel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, where can uh, people come and find uh, you personally on Twitter and uh, Casa, obviously? And where where can you where can you point people to to come and find more about you, Casa, your work, uh, the the blog, and and anything else you guys are putting out? Yeah, definitely. So um, 
Me personally, I don't tweet a ton. I tweet sometimes. Um, Twitter.com slash N Newman, and that's N-E-U-M-A-N. For CASA, we are at CASA HODL, H-O-D-L, on Twitter. And then our website is keys, K-E-Y-S dot CASA, C-A-S-A. So you can go there and you can, on our website has a, a lot of information for people. It's got um, links to our blog. It's got information on our on our product. We even have for, for the more advanced people who, um, you know, want to dig in on all of our security design and assumptions that we've made as we're building up um, the CASA security system. We have a how it works section that's like basically almost like a, a white paper, except a lot easier to read. And it goes through, you know, 40 different considerations that we took into account when we were first building everything out um, before we launched the, the product. And so that's something that um, I think for, for more advanced people who really want to dig in is, is also interesting and available on our website. Um, and then lastly, you know, like I said, we really put a premium on service. And so you can go on our website and just book a call with our client service team right from there to understand and ask any questions that you have about how CASA works, how multi-sig works, how to manage your private keys. Um, we really are want to have that personal interaction and personal face for people. And so you can, you can book a call with us on our website too. Cool. Well, Nick, it's been great uh, getting to chat with you, getting to know you a little bit. Uh, sounds really cool what you guys are doing. Well done, and uh, looking forward to twenty twenty one, man. Thanks for thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in, and thank you again, Nick, for taking the time to come on and talk to us about everything that you're doing at Casa. I think that's really interesting, very exciting actually for people coming into the space now to be able to have that ability to download an app. That app is a wallet you've got an on-ramp you can then slowly start helping these people understand the the journey down the rest of the rabbit hole i think it's brilliant i think it's going to be very well used and uh, very much needed especially for many of us that are trying to educate people i still struggle you know i had uh, a boomer friend over here the other day and just trying to go through just trying to join all of these dots you know it's um it's not easy especially in the country that i'm based at the moment um finding the services that are easy to understand and all in one place because they still aren't uh so the more services like this that that start you know coming out into the space the the better and this is what's going to help bring more people into into the bitcoin uh space um, so let's um, sorry Adam lost my train of thought uh, I'll get back into it just give me two seconds and that's perfect for where we want to be in uh, the next three to five years time and helping people because we know this bull run is coming and people are going to be asking more and more questions so if we have services like this we can point them to all the better, more power to us. So Nick, thanks again for coming on and sharing that. If you guys uh, want to reach out to Nick, you can go find him on, on Twitter. 
he's always happy to uh, to interact or if you've got any questions about CASA, head over to the website and you'll be able to contact the team directly. Before we sign off, I would just like to say, um, you know, Christmas is coming. There are some brilliant Bitcoin little gifts out there that you could go and check out to fill your kids' stockings with. Sats Ledger is one of those. That's a brilliant little project. MTC BTC's put that together. Perfect for your stockings. You know, I'm a big fan of Shamari. That's at Play Shamari. Scott Sibley has been on the show talking about that. I think these are really great little ideas that help spread the word of Bitcoin and just brilliant little presents for kids, especially friends and family. Um, obviously, the shills for coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. If you're in the UK, you know you can get over there and start stacking sats in a Bitcoin friendly manner. And if you're across the pond, guys, thanks so much for listening. It's so amazing that that is the biggest demographic that listen to the show over there in the US. Big thanks. Really appreciate all of you. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten. You can go start stacking your sats with Swan across every state now. And that forward slash bitten will kick you off with a free 10 bucks. But don't forget, you can also, once you are part of the Swan team, you get your own link and you can start sharing that out with your friends and family as well. So let's go, guys. Make sure you check out the once-bitten.com website and the YouTube channel, which is Once Bitten Podcast. Really appreciate all your help all your um, shares, likes, and banter on Twitter. Look forward to the next show. Thanks, everyone. Take care.